The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello, and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast, where we radiate continuity with Jacob L. Cooper, who is passionate about promoting healing and is the best-selling author of Life After Breath and the Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. And he is a sought-after speaker on grief, wisdom, and consciousness, offering meditation and mindfulness seminars to help others find purpose and overcome fears of life after death. He's also a clinical social worker, Reiki master, and certified hypnotherapist specializing in past life regression. Now, this is all the stuff that I do as well, Jacob. I feel like we are kindred spirits here. And you just had a birthday yesterday. Yeah, yeah, the big birthday. It's funny how sometimes we read someone's bio and it feels like it's our own, you know? Right, right. Well, and it's funny because you do the same stuff that I do and your birthday is the same as my grandmother's. It's just, what you know, there's synchronicities and those are almost super synchronicities with just, what are the chances? Yeah, but happy birthday to your late grandmother. Thank you. you Yeah, and to you too. To me too. And to Shirley MacLaine and Barbara Streisand also are born Mm -hmm. on the 24th. And Kelly Clarkson, I believe too. So Taurus Mm -hmm. rules the third, as we know. So that's why you see a lot of singers. I can't sing for anything, but well, at least I can't. Maybe some people see it differently. Taurus rules the throat and you have a lot of Tauruses with just incredible voices. Amazing. Billy Joel is a Taurus too. And yeah, local uh-huh. Long Island guy, Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because you're over on the right coast there. I live probably 10 minutes away from where Billy Joel went to high school. Oh, so right, he's right here. Oh, I'll bet he's like the hometown boy. He's a big guy here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So let's dig into it. So these books that you wrote, Life After Breath and the Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, came about after your near-death experience. How yeah. long ago was that? Well, not to give my age away, but I was just three years old, and it happened in September of 1993. And here I am 30 years later, you know, it's the exact age talking about it. 
it blows my mind because I'm a Taurus and yeah, we're pretty skeptical. We're very grounded. I'm not so much like into the woo-woo stuff. It has to happen directly to me for me to believe in anything. And that's to me more of a knowing than a faith or a belief. It's just right in front of you. You can't deny it. And that's what happened to me, my NDE. You know, there's no denying it. So you were three. Do you remember yeah. much about it? I remember it all. What and happened? I well, I had at the time something called pertussis, otherwise known as whooping cough. And for infants, children, adults, that could be quite fatal or very dangerous if left untreated. And you know, what happened to me was I suffocated as a result of whooping cough. I went to a playground and I just climbed up to a ladder onto a slide. And I just at the top of the slide, I just began to just suffocate. And there was no breath to hold on to. It was quite scary. Traumatizing, which is why I believe I'm able to have full recollection because trauma, there's dissociative components, but also we can remember trauma very clearly in our lives as if we're still in it. So I look at my NDE as very much a double-edged sword where there was the crossing over experience was incredibly beautiful and cathartic and euphoric, but the stuff that led up to it was not pleasant. <laughs> the physical stuff, the bodily stuff, that was a gift of the trauma that I had. But my NDE, I was able to really encounter my own spirit guides. I was aware of angels that were all around me. I was aware of my life's purpose, past lives, what I would be doing in this life. And it just reminds me how the other side isn't so much other of this side. It's just right here overlaying this reality you know, you just kind of tune that radio dial up just a little bit. It's just right here inside of us and around us at all times. And sometimes we view ourselves as being separate from that place, but we're infinitely connected to it. Mm -hmm. Some people more strongly than others, depending on their inner connection to it. You know, I like the way that you described it as an overlay. Something that's like a tissue drawing laid over another drawing that, I mean, that's really how it looks to me as well. In your NDE, did you see angelic beings? Did you have any guides who met you? Did you see God? What do you remember of that? All of the above. All of the above, which I know Raymond Moody coined the term NDE in the 70s when he wrote his bestseller, Life After Life. But my NDE had a lot of the euphoric elements of a near-death experience. Some people may have NDE, they have distressing experiences. I've got theories on that, but I don't feel if you cross over, it's ever distressing. I mean, I feel those people didn't fully go into the light, fully cross over. But for me, it was a full-blown encounter with my spirit guides, angels that were all around me, and awareness of God. Now, I think with ourselves, we could have this to a degree. It's kind of like a trickle of that force in our lives where we could have these things in the body. But when you're outside of your body, your body's not working, it's just right directly in front of you, full-blown. And that's profound. It wasn't like a thought. It was incredible. And in moments, I just almost had to pinch myself because it was such an adjustment from even the three-year-old that I was to now be going into this awareness. This is like too good to be true. And it was familiar, but also I do believe two things could be true at the same time. So when I was crossing over, there was an adjustment period. We have the ego, we have ourselves that we experience in this life, in this body, and we kind of hold to that. But when you cross over, that's a part of you, but there's also a deeper part. There's a you beyond the you that you see yourself. And to me, that's the eternal soul, our eternal being. And that's really what I was experiencing. But there was an adjustment phase where there was still an attachment to the life that I was living 
as ethereal, but there's also the soul that I was able to really see and understand myself as not of the body, not of the chronological age, but all those things I was just experiencing. Right. Did you fully grasp and understand what was going on at the time? Yes. It took time to really adjust and acclimate to their side. It was such like a profound adjustment from this reality. But eventually I was able to just kind of sink into it, lean into it and go into it. And people cross over. It's not just like they're automatically kind of there. It may take some time for them to just get familiarized with it. But it's home to our core. It's the place where we all are connected to, where we all come from. But depending on who you are, it takes some time. Now, at least for me, I think it probably took quicker because I was so young, right? There wasn't as much life to kind of process and I wasn't as conditioned human-wise. So I could imagine people live like a full life. It may take a little bit longer to adapt and to adjust to the other side. But yes, it was all full recall. And people ask me, how do you remember? And I just say, how could I ever forget? How could I ever forget something so profound? And we have to look back in our own lives. You know, if you look at the most profound moments of your life, they never leave you from, I guess, if a marriage went well or not, you'll remember your wedding date or you'll remember the time you graduated college, maybe, or that first job or that first love that you had or pivotal moments in our life or things that we could go into those moments, whether traumatic or euphoric, we could go into them as if they're happening right here, right now, as if time didn't pass at all. Right. Yeah. Things that are momentous like that. Momentous. Yes. That's a good mm-hmm. word. Yeah. yeah. You know, you mentioned something about trauma that, yeah, certain elements of trauma are just burned permanently into the brain, but then some things just like are gone. There's a disassociation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for me, if I wasn't supposed to remember this, I would not. Um, but I, I was intended to remember this and it wasn't so much for me. I think it was to give over to other people because not only my near-death experience, I saw my other lifetimes and what I did and how they related to this lifetime. But I saw what I would be doing in this lifetime. And I saw myself speaking in front of a lot of people. And that's all well and good. I mean, anyone could say that, but I have validation throughout my life of this image. I remember once I was just going through a tumultuous time, like most teenagers do when they're still living at home with their parents. And I just kind of acted out my parents just said, get out of the house you know, like for a couple of days and just live with your grandparents. Fine. And I was just like, it was hard. And I literally walked around the corner and I was just like sobbing. And I find myself again in a playground. And it's just like remembering how we could be kicked out of life. Life could feel like it abandons us, but we're all just children in God's playground here to play around and to be a brother's and sister's keeper. And we're here to play, we're here to enjoy, but we're here to recognize that this earth is an experience, but it's not our ultimate home. I think that's something that I use to myself and to other people. Like when we're struggling, it's an experience. It's a growing moment for the soul, but nothing here is permanent. Nothing here lasts. And our real home, we try to make it here, but this is kind of like an in-between-the-doors kind of thing. This is a stopover, and there's a one-way ticket back home for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real home. So it's just reminded me of the playground that I had my near-death experience and just subconscious wanderings of just going and feeling kicked out of home and then coming to that. And then a couple hours later, a woman came up to me and she said, I was in a yoga seminar that day and I didn't even know this person. She says, wow, you know, you have a powerful calling in life. I'm like, who the hell are you? Like, why are you coming up to me? I don't know you. I like, you know how that goes, but sometimes angels come in human form and animal forms as you see with your cat over there. 
just says, wow, you know, I see a lot of people that you're going to be speaking in front of. You're going to be a healer one day. And I just it reminded me of Mandy, but I was just so stuck into fear and doubt. I'm like, how is this going to happen? Like, I'm just a mess up and just got kicked out of my house lady and not doing well. How is this thing possible? But sometimes we get stuck in struggle that we don't see that things could change and things can improve and our pain could define our purpose in some ways. Yeah, totally. Right. Without that darkness, we wouldn't know the light. That's right. So how did you get on your path to being a healer? Well, I think there's givers and takers in life. And I think sometimes we're really fluctuating between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And for me, I could have just had this near-death experience and just took it, right? I could just said, this is mine and not tell anyone, not show anyone and just said, this was about me. But I've learned later in life that life is not all about you. <laughs> you go through things, not just for yourself, but to make a ripple effect to other people and to help out others. And in my later teens is when I kind of got back on this path, but I was given a book called Embraced by the Light by Betty Eighty, And that's was like one of the first groundbreaking near-death experience encounter to hit kind of the mainstream media circle. And reading Betty's book, I'm like, geez, this is a thing. Someone else has these things. I'm not the only one. And mm-hmm. so it gave a terminology to it, universality to it, but also it allowed me to say, wow, people are interested in this and this could help people. And sometimes where we experience something, we don't think anything of it. We think it's cool, but it's like, all right. But then tell someone else and it's life-altering. It's life-changing. And so for me, I don't necessarily do this for me because it's it's hard. You have to get public. I'm a very private person. You have to expose yourself to ridicule and cyberbullying and all that stuff. But I just recognize this message is so much bigger than me and my own ego and my own comfort. And so is life. You know, it's not all about you. That's a hard pill to swallow, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not. So when you got started with doing Reiki healing and hypnotherapy and everything, did you know what those things were? Did you like go in eyes wide open or did you just kind of fall into it? Well, Reiki healing was something in a way that I was kind of given back in my NDE. You know, you see in Mm -hmm. my NDE, I encountered an endless sea of angels that were in front of me. But the angels that I saw were different than my spirit guides that I encountered. The angels are very uniformal, and they were just sending unconditional healing and love to myself and to the planet. And I just remembered those beings and how they were just beings of light, just sending love unconditionally. And to me, that is energy healing. And I said, wow, why, looking back at it, I was like, why do I have to wait to get there to be an angel? Why can't we embody those beings around us and help out others. And I think life in a way is a training school to be a guide and an angel. And if we're able to do it here, we're able to be true to form over there too. It's not just like we come over there and become an angel. We morph into these you know, angelic beings here too. And we can. We've all seen people. And you don't need to have a license to be an angel. You don't need to have a big following or a big crowd. Just being true to you and having a light that adds to the world is being an angel to me. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I think we can all be angels here. Yes. Now, your family, did they fully understand what happened to you and the transformation that took place and what your mission and calling was going to be? Well, I'm not sure I quite fully understood in the human way. And it took me several decades to really make sense of this all. It And I think having a terminology, and I really credit Raymond Moody for it, really helped me identify this as a thing and not just this whole big thing that I couldn't pinpoint or put into words. So my soul knew what happened, but my psyche 
took time to make sense of and to embrace. I don't blame my family, but at least for me, I wasn't fully able to put it into words. And I just knew that they weren't. And each and every day, I learned something different about my NDE. But my father, who's also a therapist, you know, once came up to me recently and he said, you know, after your NDE, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing, I'm using my words here, but you're not exactly what I said to him. But he said, you know, you came up to me and you said, Dad, remember when I was rushed by the ambulance to the hospital? Something happened in those moments. It's not going to make sense to you now, but one day you'll understand. Oh. And my dad is not someone to make things up or sugarcoat me. He's my biggest skeptic and he pushes me, he challenges me, but it's got to be tried and true. I grew up in a very traditional Orthodox Jewish home and so aren't into the airy fairy stuff. It's more about right here, right now kind of thing and how can we make this world a better place? And that's kind of later to come, but we're not into the angels and butterflies and leprechauns kind of thing. It's more so here now. It's not like a colorful view of life. It's kind of black and white. So, Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, I know very little about the Jewish faith. Did anything challenge the, your views of God or how the universe and life and death worked? Well, it was quite ironic because my near-death experience occurred of September of 1993. And I'm not going to quote Earth, Wind, and Fire over here, but, you know, kind of. It's funny. My ND happened in September. My OBE nearly two decades later happened also in September. So there's something to September for me. But anyway, it, it occurred right before the time of what's called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, the Jewish high holiday, which is now, you know, a national holiday. You know, people recognize it as they do with the other holidays, such as, you know, Ramadan and stuff like that. This holiday is about really cleansing your soul before you meet the Creator. And it's the Day of Atonement, but also like a Day of Judgment, like who will live, who will die, who will be healthy and abundant, who won't. So it's a day of manifestation and kind of cleaning your slate before you meet the Creator. Little did I know I was about to meet the Creator, but it was such a different Creator that was kind of broadcasted in my own religion. And at least in my own religion, it, it's kind of, I don't want to knock it, I think it's very helpful for some souls you know, to create that structure and that community. But at least for me, it's a very different interpretation than what I had firsthand. It's kind of like a projected abusive parent that you had who loves you for what you do and not who you are. And it's constantly evaluating you. And it's a lot of fear-based, really. It's a very human construct and fear and almost like that powerful leader or sheriff or officer. And that's just kind of what it was. And just a lot of people living in fear that if you don't do X, 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 and Y, then you're screwed. And that wasn't the case. And my NDE the God that I encountered was the best way I could describe it, and this is very synonymous with end of years, is love. And by love, I don't mean Hallmark. I don't mean your first date or Twilight stuff. I mean love as in unconditionally loving for your inner being, not your inner doing. Mm. Not every moment what you're doing constantly evaluate. You do this, I love you. It's loving you unconditionally. And that is a creator that I encountered was unconditional love to the fullest capacity something far beyond our comprehension in this life. And no matter how great parents we have, we all are used to just being conditionally evaluated usually. And it's such a different concept that what we're exposed to in this life. Yeah, that really is. I'm sure that can challenge many people's views, but that might need to be challenged. And It can, but it's kind of like, I think a lot of people have an external God that they're taught, you know, that's in the book. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing. And you could follow that and that, you know, some degree could be helpful, but I think the ultimate God, the ultimate journey is the one within. 
the one that speaks to you on a very subjective level and the one that you know in your heart, not so much through your analytical mind, not so much through words in a book, you know, but the God in your heart's a heart. And I think when you're connecting to the core inner self, you're connected to God. So many people run, travel thousands of miles away from themselves to find God, not recognizing that what they're looking for is always within. They just have to pivot the direction and change what they're looking at. And that could be a whole lifetime of people sojourning and traveling to mountains and you're looking at leaders to tell them what God is, what God isn't, and could lead to a lot of abuse. And I don't want to go down that hole, but yeah, just a big power and control mechanism that's there. That, As we know, it's not in the high towers of holy people. And I think Jesus himself would say the kingdom of heaven is within me, is within you too. And that really is a crux of my near-death experience. People see me as this afterlife kid, and I'm in this life. And if I'm known as the afterlife guy, I haven't really done my job. I feel I want people to know themselves as afterlife people too, that that's a place that they all could connect to. And I love this. Everybody think of themselves as afterlife people. That is amazing. We don't view it that way. We'll say, all right, this person's a New York Times bestselling author on this subject. They have what I don't, or they're, you know, and these are all human constructs. But at the end of the day, you boil it down. We all come from that same place. We all go to the same place. All these other things are just kind of false titles and false hierarchies of things. And that's a human thing, but it's not a spiritual thing. Right. And I love this about bringing that kind of afterlife to the life that we're living now. I mean, that's my whole philosophy. My guides keep telling me that we need to keep in the human experience. And that's what we're doing here is we're meant to be and feel and live this right. experience. We're always I think spirituality to me is about applying what you know inside of you. I think it's an active energy. It's applying all those things in this reality. But also, I think people just think of it more of a religious thing too, in a way where it's like just connecting to the angels and God is spiritual. And that's one way. But I found the most spiritual thing that you could do is to be organic by a sense of extracting the beauty of the life that you live and those moments that you live and the experiences that you live. You know, the other side is always going to be there and it's always is there, but this unique opportunity to live a full, rich life, you know, full of color, experiences, memories is the most spiritual thing that we really can do. It is to live a life in, in a spiritual way, knowing that we are connected to something much greater than ourselves and letting that something greater right. go to everything that we do. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you could think of things so much in your own mind, but when you're able to really walk it, apply it, you'll recognize, wow, life takes on a whole new form. And so with my books, with my talks, it's not just words, it's words to live by, words to try to play with and experiment with trying to use. And that's the way that I do. I'll listen to a book or read a book or listen to a talk. And that's one thing. Then I'll say, all right, what could I extract from this? Otherwise, it's just like cooking spinach where nothing's left. So what could I really use with practicality in my everyday life? And how could I apply that to each day? When you're able to apply it, wow, life takes a whole new gear. It really does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you've got these books. So what are these? Can you walk us through both of your books? Absolutely. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. 
If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Life After Breath is really the title, a homage to Dr. Raymond Moody, who actually is on my front cover endorsement and is a friend of mine, but Raymond coined the term near-death experience. And I don't know if I would be here talking in front of you without his work. He was such a pivotal role. And you see a lot of near-death experiencers not even knowing who Raymond Moody is talking about NDEs. And it's a Shonda, a shame. Because, <laughs> you know, you got to know the genesis and how daring he was working in academia with two doctorates. I think he had a doctorate and PhD in psychiatry as well as philosophy. And for him at that time to talk about these things was incredibly daring and pioneering. And I'm sure at the time it was not very pleasant, but the world changed from him undeniably. And I think the world changes by players, not by the bystanders. People in the stands, it doesn't change. You know, the people who are active on the field, those are the ones who make the plays. And yeah. he's, he was definitely a big player on the field, still is. So that book is really a homage to him. But the book is a memoir about my near-death experience. And there's two concepts that we're familiar with, a karma and dharma. And karma is just our stories. And dharma is the extracted meaning behind our stories, the purpose behind our stories. And so life after breath is kind of like my story, what the near-death experience was and how did I live with it? So it's very, in a way, of an inspirational memoir kind of thing. But the wisdom of Jacob's ladder, and you kind of think of a ladder, you think of the different rungs, the different lessons, the different messages. And that is my second book. 
And I titled that because I had my near-death experience going up into a ladder onto a slide. And you think of Jacob, biblical Jacob from the Bible, who was running away from his life from his brother Esau due to the covenant with his father Isaac and all that stuff. And, you know, he had a dream of angels going up and down the ladder when he was sleeping in a town that's in Israel today that they think is called Bethel or the house of God. So Jacob was having this dream of the angels going up and down the ladder in the house of God. And there's a lot to a name. And, you know, it was just like a homage and respect to biblical Jacob. Right, right. I mean, no coincidence that your name is Jacob, too. Right. Your name says a lot about your potential and your essence, I believe. And as a mother, you'll understand. Well, I don't know if you have got kids. I don't take an assumptive role, but you can understand. Like, I think there's a maternal understanding if a you know, like cat comes, like the cat that's with you today or with your dog, it's just kind of like that essence, that soul is drawn to you. They choose you and you understand their nature and what they want to be called and what their life is. And I firmly believe we choose our parents, whether four-legged creatures, two-legged creatures, we all choose our situations. That's a big part of our life. Yeah. Well, I also do past life regression and I see people all the time saying, oh, I'm going to go to a new life. And oh, there's my mother. She's so pretty. That's why I chose. It's remarkable. And sometimes they wake up for, geez, like I chose this person, but sometimes it makes sense. But there's something to it. And you think of how many billions of people on the planet for you to be with, if you have a mother, if you have a father, if you have both, or if you have a mother and a mother, a father, and whatever it is, these are the people that you choose. There's a big part of it. There's a big, as you know, lessons and there's karmic ties and there's just things to kind of work out with those people too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's lessons in everything. It's amazing. And so you are also a therapist. Yes, I could finally say that because I see a lot of people with LMSWs or LMHCs calling themselves therapists and they're not clinical. They're counselors. You could say I provide counseling. But once I pass my LCSW, which is licensed clinical social worker, you're considered a therapist. You can call yourself a therapist. That took a long time. But at least for me, I think life is about the ripple effect. And when I was a young kid, I saw an incredible therapist at just a very young age that I saw for nearly a decade that had such a profound impact on me. And there was parts of my life where I'd be like, I want to be that guy. That's me. And that's how you know the law of attraction works. When you see something you like, you say, that's me. And something that you like or someone that you are inspired by, it's, it's a reflection of your higher self and where you want to be in your life and what you want to do with your life, what you want to gravitate to. So it's not something outside of you. It's something within you. You know, that's a reflection of your highest wish in life. And um, I love this man because in a way, he embodied what a true therapist is, where there's different approaches to therapy, some are more psychodynamic or DBT therapist, CBT therapy. You know, there's like different specialties in clinical approach. But this man is, was just kind of like a walking Zen monk. And I find being a therapist in a way is almost kind of being like a monk where you're applying a lot of the Eastern philosophies and principles into your clinical work. And by that, I mean compassion, active listening, being one with the person, understanding, not filling everything with your own thoughts, but being open to the moment, being one with the client. So it's in a way, I'm in a way, I see myself in a monastery every day, just no incense burning or chanting or stuff like that. And could have all the stuff of being just a regular guy without doing the dogma of that. But that's why I see being a therapist is entering someone's world, being where their feet are at. But you know, also a big Buddhist principle is cognitive reframing and just we're seeing things one's way and how could we see things through the wise mind or the spiritual mind or 
how can we see things in a different, higher way? Each and every day, I try to work with my clients to find some of that space and to decide what we want to fill it with. So it's not so much the events that happen, but that space with how we interpret those events and how we want to view those things. What do we want to fill with? It might be pain, but I think most people feel pain because they're in pain or feel anxiety because they're anxious or feel depressed because they're depressed. And so it's not so much what we're viewing, but it's the judgment and a lot of the interpretation instead of having self-compassion to those moments and just allowing them to unfold and to be in flow with those feelings and experiences. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. So do you use your, I believe you have intuitive gifts as well, right? Yeah. We all do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, as um, we all do. This is true. We, we all certainly do. I use them a lot, sometimes in therapy. I mean, I know I was very drawn to Dr. Judith Orloff, if you're familiar with her, yeah. UCLA trained psychiatrist, but she talks a lot about clinical intuition and using that in practice. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that a client comes in in a clinical setting, you're giving them like a life reading and talking about their loved ones around them. That's more of a psychic mediumistic right. reading. But it may be just kind of like asking that gut question that's not on the surface, has nothing to do with the clients ever presented, and having that question to be like a breakthrough for the client. And you're just tapping into something that they need to explore, that's helpful for them to explore on a more deeper level. And therapy is changing so much right now. Like now, when I go to these trainings, it's like they get us to meditate, they talk about mindfulness, right. and they incorporate a lot of kind of Eastern things within spirit therapy. And even right now, they're talking about spirituality as a part of the client. And back in the day, that would have been crazy to speak about that. It, it is. I mean, it's who we are. It's how oh, we sure. see the world. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we see everything. Yeah. The ocean is becoming a little bit warmer. It takes time for that temperature in the ocean to rise and, oh, you know, therapy. Fortunate analogy. Yeah. It takes time for these kind of bureaucratic things to change, but you're slowly starting to see a shift. Because, yeah, I mean, you look at traditional therapy. If someone were to have psychic experiences, you would send them into inpatient or they would have like at least a 72-hour hold. And now it's kind of like we're recognizing that not all psychic experiences means that you are sick in the moment or you're going through a mental illness or a psychotic break. Right. You know, psychic doesn't always mean psychosis. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I went to a, a neurologist one time and they asked if I was hearing or seeing things that other people don't. I said, yeah, <laughs> my job. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, I mean, I, all the time. Yeah. In fact, I could give you a reading right here, right now. Stuff that um, yeah, that would be funny. They probably would never ask that question again if they like <laughs> give like a spot reading. Are you seeing and hearing things? And he's like, Yeah, actually, you're so. But again, wants you to know that you take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you see a lot of TV shows kind of promoting that. But how people in grief are they? You have to be respectful, and you have to really ask permission to go there. People want to ask you, really, not so much you coming to them. It's about boundaries with that stuff. It's about boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, I can see the fine line that you have to dance with using your intuitive ability with the clients and what you can ask and what you can't ask and what is appropriate to what is not appropriate, right? And do you take Reiki clients? Do you see clients mm -hmm. just Reiki? Yes. Yes. I have a Reiki table that I see clients at. So my private practice, I do mostly hypnosis. Reiki traditional therapy. And for clients outside, because I'm only covering the state of New York, 
we do like kind of like consciousness consulting questions and big exploring big answers to big questions and helping people navigate the wheel from the higher mind. So that's what we do. Trying to also coach some authors too and help out people who are aspiring writers and just getting them to write their stories. And again, it's it's about giving back because when I know when I wrote my first, at least my first book, I had so much help. And sometimes we're like, all right, that person's an author, but I'm not. And we all have a story in us. And it's just when we see a limitation, we'll get that. When we see a limitation, we'll get that too. And everyone could not just have a story, but define their story. And you could write a book and define your story, but it's not necessary. And that's a lot of therapeutic work that I do. And even something that is helped out in trauma. It's a lot of narrative therapy. We work with trauma or you know, cognitive behavioral therapy in trauma too. It's just kind of like those events that happen and then kind of rewriting that story from a future place or maybe from a place of creativity and how you're creating like a story in a way of that person and going through the metamorphosis of those experiences. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, taking charge to create your story and write your story. I mean, that's that's it. Instead of like Abraham Hicks too, they talk about telling a different story. Yeah, that's that's really where the power starts. There's so many people that are doing automatic writing without channeling and just having life kind of write their story in a way without having a part participation in it and having a declaration of it or a definition of it or mm -hmm. owning that pen. And I think we really have to take ownership of that pen or those keyboards, whatever you're writing and just define it. That's important. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, I can see where your work would be very transformative and helpful for just about everybody. Do you ever practice I, online? Mm -hmm. I hope so. I hope so. Each and every client that I see, I recognize they're probably a part of a family. They have people around them. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like, how do you treat that person? It's like when you have a loved one that's going to see a doctor going to the hospital, you have to put yourself in their shoes that this is a whole family behind this person. And that person getting better is helping them out too, in a way. And they're such a big part of a big system. And they speak about you. They talk about you. You're a part of not only their world, but probably the loved ones around them. So the point that I'm trying to make is it's very serious, just in terms of the amount of people involved in this and the impact that could have not only that person, but the worlds that these people live in. I mean, I know when I saw my therapist, I'd talk about him all the time, and it's just was a part of my family's thing. So when you see a client, it's not just a client. You're seeing the whole system behind the client. So it's a very serious deal in that regard. No, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, is there anything else about you or your work or what you do that you think is important to ask? Because I'm sure we haven't even covered nearly everything. Yeah. Well, I think I try to do this with my clients and myself. The value of gradual exposure. If we're familiar with the word exposure, what does that mean? It just means putting ourselves in situations that may be contributive to uncomfortable feelings or emotions. And in therapy, I do this too with a lot of clients. So for instance, people who are afraid of planes are not going to think their way out of that fear. They're going to get better by having gradual exposure and then hopefully eventually getting on the airplane. So maybe having those sounds of an airplane, talking about the airplane, going to an airport, and just kind of like the small things that will help them. So I find if it's fear, depression, whatever it is, it's actually looking at that thing dead in the eye that will decrease long-term a lot of the associations and pathologies that we have around that. And now I do two of those things. I talk about death, which is a top five fear. Mm -hmm. And I do public speaking, which is also a top five fear. And I know from my own life that going right to the center point of the fears is how we really get the most 
emotional freedom and how we expand and <laughs> recognizing it's not so much that thing itself, but more so the constructs that we have of that thing and the fear surrounding those stimulus and stuff like that. So I find that it's very important for people to contemplate not their own death, but death itself and just the nature of it. What does it mean to you? And I find when that box expands or changes, that people's relationship with death can change too. And I could see why it's very traumatic and scary when you think about it. If you see yourself as a body, and that's all that you are, the unknown of just being completely empty or lifeless is something that we just don't know. We only know that we could be ourselves and we could be awake, we could be aware, and we don't know what it's like to not be ourselves and to just be in this empty place of not knowing. But when you're able to see yourself as beyond this body, that there is a you beyond this you, there is a soul beyond this body, that there could be a different interpretation of death. And it might not be so frightening. It could be quite pleasant or changing. And I think a lot of people live their lives within fear of death. But I think what's important is how we relate to it. We can recognize that death is a part of life, and we just don't know when our time is. Geez, I mean, at three years old, who would think that I would have crossed over? It could happen at any moment. So do you live your life with those five or 10-year plans or just kind of coasting? Or do you live your life acknowledging that death of the body is a part of life, and we have to live with a sense of purpose and find ways to live our best life each and every day, that limited time that we all have here? Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I love that. So your books, again, are Life After Breath and The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. And your website, of course, is jacoblcooper.com. And you can find out information about services, events, media, books, and all types of things on your website. It's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm honored to share a birthday with your late grandmother and happy birthday to her in spirit. And just keep on doing your great work. It's all about radiating light and you're doing that. Trust me, the world does need inspiration. You know, it really is the oxygen of our time. So just thank you. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>